Well, good morning, church. I want to share a couple of things with you before getting into today's message. So did you catch what I said? No? All right, well, let me try again. Uh, I just would like to share a couple of things before I really get into today's message. All right, everyone thank our drummer, Nick, for his beautiful cymbal smashing. And if you didn't hear me, what I was trying to read was 1 Corinthians 13.1, which says, maybe, all right, I will just read it then. If I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, but do but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. <laughs> See, when we're not in a posture of love, then everything we say is just a lot of noise. And the chapter goes on to mention that even if you give away everything that you have and you sacrifice everything, if you do so without love, then you really gain nothing. So love has to be the foundation of all of our actions. And I think in a world that is um, so constantly noisy and you have so many things that are competing for our attention that we have to ground ourselves in the gospel to avoid becoming part of that noise. And one way that we do that is to make sure that we are acting in love. God modeled this for us. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave. And so today as we pray over our weekly offering, I just want you to remember that we are to give out of love. We don't give out of a sense of guilt. We don't give out of a sense of obligation. <clears throat> but we give out of love. Right? So let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that we can always trust in you. You are an abundant God, and out of your great love and mercy, you have given us so much. As an act of our heartfelt gratitude, we give you our tithes and our offerings. With them, we worship you and acknowledge you, and acknowledge your blessings upon us. Please now take them and use them for your kingdom and for your glory. Extend and multiply their reach and their influence, and may they be a great blessing to many. So we ask this in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, today is the second message in our Fake Truth series. And we're doing this series because there's a lot of so-called truth that sort of floats around out there in our culture. And the problem is that some people really believe it to be biblical truth right? And it's really not. And so last week we discussed uh, uh, the first of these fake truths, and this one was a little bit more pointedly theological in nature, and that was referring to this progressive idea about the cross <coughs> and God's wrath. <coughs> but the fake truth we're going to look at this week is a lot more commonplace, and that's the idea that God just wants you to be happy. God just wants me to be happy, right? You've all probably heard this sentiment, Maybe you've even said it at some point. 
But you have to wonder, why do, why do people think this is true? I mean, if you actually stopped and thought about it, it's pretty easy to prove that this is fake truth just by examining the reality of life. Be because life's realities tell us that real life is hard. Okay? So, let's look at what life typically looks like for most people. And, and, you know, feel free to disagree with me. But you and I come into this world through a very painful process for our mothers. Even if they've had the benefit of an epidural, right? It's still not fun. So, the time of pregnancy is hard. Giving birth is hard. And then we pop out, usually crying. We're sometimes happy as children, but a lot of the times not, not so. And then we grow up and we get a little bit better at managing our emotions and, we, and rationalizing the unmet expectations that we have, for the most part. But life is still hard. And then when we're little kids, we just think that being teenagers would be awesome. And then we become teenagers and we wish that we could become an adult. And then we become adults and we realize how much we miss being little kids. And every stage of life contains tests of all different kinds. Every stage of life brings a new challenge, fresh hurts, unrealized dreams, and overwhelming fears. And then we get old and everything starts hurting and falling apart and then we die, right? As Job says, anyone born of a woman is short of days and full of trouble. In other words, to paraphrase Job, life stinks and then you die. Don't ever let anybody tell you that the Bible doesn't shoot straight. That's pretty much the unvarnished truth right there, right? Now, lest we paint too bleak a picture, if we're lucky, Somewhere in the midst of all of that trouble, we take a long walk on the beach. We stare at sunrises and sunsets. We go to the zoo, watch our kids play in the yard, laugh with friends over a board game or around a campfire. We listen to Grandma sing a hymn while she makes cookies. We hold hands with our spouse while watching a movie. We get hugged and kissed a whole lot. We hear Handel's Messiah. We see snow falling on a quiet Christmas morning and experience a million other pleasures. And sometimes we think that those are all the things that make life worth living. Which is why when we don't get enough of those things or maybe any of those things, we sometimes don't think that life is worth living because the pain seems to outnumber the pleasure. Or even if we don't get to quite that level of despair, we still from time to time experience the hurts in our hearts that no earthly pleasure really seems to be able to console. We get sick, or even worse, a loved one gets sick. We mess up, sometimes in very big ways that hold no promise of being rectified. People insult us, 
betray us or just change into other kinds of people that we don't want to be friends with anymore. Sometimes that person is your spouse or your child or your parent or even your pastor. We lose jobs, we lose health, we lose vision. We go to doctors, we go to therapists, we go to life coaches, we go to church. If you believe in the biblical God, which is to say the one creator who is sovereign over all things, then somehow your version of his take on happiness has to accommodate all of these realities that I've just been talking about. And that hurt that we experience through life is one reason why so many people reject the idea of God. They don't see how someone, some being, who's supposed to be all-loving and all-controlling could allow such pain and hardship in the world. He's either not all-loving or he's not all-controlling, they reason. And that makes perfect sense if God's priority, his main priority for us, is happiness. When God summoned the Apostle Paul into a lifetime of service in the cause of Christ, he put it this way to Ananias. He says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then later, Paul's recounting his missionary adventures, and he says this, Five times I received the forty lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, excuse me, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention other things. There is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. So, <laughs> if this is the biblical reality for those who pursue God like the Apostle Paul, what hope <laughs> do us normal people have? So after examining these realities of life and admitting that more or less they're everybody's realities, you may not have all of those in your life, but you've experienced some for sure. The only thing that I think we can conclude from that is that happiness must not be God's main priority for us. And that gets us to sort of the main point of this sermon, which is this. The biblical truth is that God has his own priorities for your life and that they are to be holy, to find your ultimate happiness in him, and to discover the deep happiness that Jesus promised. So let's look at those, all right? And so the first one is that, we've, that God's priority for us is to be holy first and foremost. Now, if you want to know what God's priority for us is, the answer is all over the scriptures. 
Let me just give you a sampling. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. That's from Genesis. In Exodus it says, be my holy people. Leviticus says, for I am the Lord your God, so you must consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. In Numbers it says, this way you will remember and obey all my commands and be holy to your God. Psalm 65, we will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Proverbs, there is life in the path of righteousness, and in its path there is no death. In Ezekiel, I will honor the holiness of my great name. <clears throat> the nations will know that I am the Lord. This is the declaration of the Lord God when I demonstrate my holiness through you in their sight. Matthew says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, righteousness, for they will be filled. Again in Matthew it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. <clears throat> Romans, Since by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, how much more? will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Ephesians. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. 2 Timothy. Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Hebrews. Pursue peace with everyone. And holiness, without it, no one will see the Lord. First Peter, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And then in Revelation, let the righteous go on in righteousness, let the holy still be holy. Now that seems like a lot of scriptures, but there's more. We're just not going to look at them today. But hopefully what you've been able to see through this is that the bottom line in all of this is that through the scriptures, God has prioritized his own glory. Okay? Over and over we see how everything he says is done to make his glory known for his own namesake. And this means that his ultimate concern, as you can clearly see, is that we are to be holy or righteous, as, the, as some of the texts said. <clears throat> now, does holiness exclude happiness? Absolutely not. They are not set against each other, as if to be holy somehow necessitates being unhappy. That isn't at all what this is saying. Nor are th is there any biblical basis from which we can somehow conclude that God is pleased or somehow happy when we're not, right? If we're unhappy, God's not sitting up there going, all right. But the thing is, and what I want you to take away from this, is that as a matter of priority, God is much more concerned that we would be holy than that we would be happy, all right? Now, we're not going. Let's let's look at happiness here. 
So an, another priority that we can find that God has for our life is that we are to find our ultimate happiness in him. See, God's, as I said, he's not at all opposed to our happiness. He only wishes that we would find it in him. There's a New Testament scholar, uh, Ligon Duncan, and he reminds us of something <coughs> historic Christians, which kind of contrast with many today, have believed about the pursuit of holiness. Okay, this is Dr. Duncan, I'm quoting. Our chief and highest purpose, goal, and end in life is God's glory. That's what we live for. Whereas many of our contemporaries think that God is the chief means to our highest end, or happiness, we do not believe that God is a means to an end. He is the end. He is the reason and aspiration for which we exist. There is no ultimate happiness and satisfaction and fulfillment and joy apart from him. Now, a lot has been made of this distinction between happiness and joy, okay? And a lot of people think it's just kind of an arbitrary distinction, right? That there's really not much of a distinction there at all. And in today's manner of speaking, we think of happiness as uh, the pleasurable emotion that's elicited by people, by things, and by experiences. So that's, our, that's basically our definition of happiness. So when sad things happen, then I'm sad. When happy things happen, then I'm happy. Now, that's what's called being a normal human being. <laughs> it's natural that we would respond accordingly to positive or negative circumstances in our life. Okay, That's happiness. <coughs> Joy, on the other hand, is different than this circumstantial kind of happiness that we were just talking about. Joy is, is a conviction. Joy is convinced that no matter the sadness or the circumstances or the weakness of our bodies, we are secure in the sovereign God who loves us. Do you see how joy runs deeper than happiness? See, happiness is dependent upon circumstances. Joy is dependent upon our Savior. So biblical joy is really ultimate happiness. And the important thing for us to remember is that our priority is not a feeling, it's a fellowship. A close communion with the God who is the wellspring of deep and abiding happiness the kind that can't come from any kind of earthly circumstance or temporary pleasure. And finally, God's priority is that we would discover the deep happiness that Jesus promised. Now you and I live every day with this, it's kind of both an external and an internal clash of two distinct worldviews. There's, the first one is really this worldview of materialism, all right? And rather than talk a whole lot about it, I'm going to let some friends of mine uh, sort of elaborate on the worldview of materialism. 
Allow us to introduce ourselves. We're neighbors. We moved in down the street. Some say we're the most delightful bunch of fellows you'll ever want to meet. And if you have a moment to spare, kind lady with beauty so rare, we'd like to take a minute or two on a topic of interest to you. We represent the Stuff Mart, an enormous land of goodies. Would you mind if we stepped in, please? Well, I... And as associates of the Stuff Mart, it looks like you could use some stuff. Oh, yes, yes. Why, I was just saying that... I pray that you won't take this wrong, my dear, but my initial observation is as follows. The criminal responsible for this decor really should be hanging from the gallows. We represent the Stuff Mart. A magic land of retail. Would you care to see what's on sale? <laughs> then as a customer of the Stuff Mart, get ready for some real nice stuff. so nice but you really should take our advice happiness waits at the stuff mart all you need is lots more stuff so if i buy more things that will make me happy i don't think that's true Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. You really, really ought to. How could I afford not to? Now you've got it. Oh, great. Happiness waits at the stuff mart. All you need is lots more stuff. 
Happiness waits at the stuff mart, right? See, mankind's greatest need is to have his desires uh, or his feelings met. Therefore, we need things, we need experiences and achievements to meet those desires. And then we'll be happy. See, it begins with our desires or appetites, if you want to call it that. It assumes that having stuff will satisfy these desires. And then when we have the desires met, voila, we'll be happy. How's that worked out for everybody? <laughs> See, Christianity, on the other hand, isn't totally disinterested in our desires and our feelings. It definitely speaks to those things. But it starts and it goes much deeper than any other worldview can. Christianity teaches along these lines. Christianity says that mankind's greatest need isn't unmet needs or desires, but unrealized glory. Our biggest problem isn't unsatisfied feelings, it's sin. We're disconnected from God and we fall short of his glory because of our disobedience and our rebellion against him. Therefore, what we need is not a thing, it's not an experience, it's not an achievement. It's salvation, redemption, forgiveness, righteousness, and rescue. We need Jesus. And once we have Jesus by faith, then regardless of our circumstances or our feelings, whether we're happy, whether we're sad, we can have something that runs much deeper than just those circumstantial feelings. We can have joy. It's called fullness of joy. So materialism offers circumstantial experiences and temporary things to satisfy superficial desires. Whereas Christianity offers the glory of Christ to satisfy an eternal void that's inside of us. Jesus knew that his followers were going to have to endure a very difficult life as we pursue his mission. We're threatened, we're accused, we're exiled, we're canceled, in some cases tortured, and in some places actually executed for our faith. But he makes us a promise. He makes us a promise that is far greater than any earthly reward or earthly success. He says this, Truly I tell you, <clears throat> you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. This is the deep happiness that Jesus promised. And it's why none of us can find happiness in stuff. See, Jesus said to find our life, we've got to lose it. He wants you to have the eternal joy of himself, not simply this fleeting happiness of your flesh. 
So many of us uh, have our hearts set on temporary happiness. And that's fine as far as it goes. I mean, you'd be weird if you wanted to be sad all the time. You'd be abnormal if you thought getting hurt was fun. So pray for healing, pray for comfort, pray for the things that you need. But remember as you're doing that, that true joy, which you can have despite your hurt, despite your trials, despite poverty, despite lack, can be had in any circumstance because you have Jesus. He's never going to let you go. It's the only safe bet, and it's infinitely more pleasurable than whatever the devil is offering. God doesn't just want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy as he's holy and to find true and lasting joy in him. Let's pray. And as we uh, begin to pray here, we're going to go into communion. And so I will just to let everybody know that <coughs> in the chairs uh, in front of you are these little containers. And there's a, a top layer that you can peel back and uh, to reveal the host. And then there's a second layer that you peel back to expose the juice that's in the cup. And so after we bless these, we're going to all take communion together. <coughs> so again, let's pray. <coughs> Father, we live in a world where materialism is everywhere. where our culture tells us that we can't be happy unless we have things or we have status or we have a new something or other. And Father, we acknowledge that there's nothing wrong with having some of those things. But so often, Lord, we tend to make idols out of those things out of money, out of status. So Lord, we, we confess of that to you right now and we repent of our constant need for more things, for more stuff. And Father, we simply come before you and ask that you continue to show us what that deep abiding joy really looks like. That joy that can survive any and every circumstance that this world can throw at us. A joy that you paid such a price for. Christ that we recall now as we celebrate the sacrament of communion. And so we recall that on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed that he took bread and he lifted it up to heaven 
and he asked his father to bless it. And then he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this all of you and eat for this is my body given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he took the cup and again asked his father to bless it. And he took the cup and shared this with his disciples as well. And he said, take this all of you and drink for this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant blood that was shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. So whenever you eat of this bread or drink of this cup, do so and remember me. So Father, I pray over this simple meal of wafer and juice that you would make it to be for us your body and your blood. That you would consecrate it now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The body of Jesus given for you. And the blood of Jesus shed for you. Pastor Chip, would you come? Amen. God is good. Would you bow your head with me? The first thing is, if you listen to this message and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, or maybe you did know him and you've strayed away and now you kind of feel like, hey, I want to recommit. I want to rededicate myself. Just let this be your moment. Just let, let this moment be your moment. You never come to him, just do it. Like, I say this every week because it's so true. You don't have to clean up. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do anything but just say, Jesus, save me. He'll do the rest. He'll figure out all the mess. He'll figure out all the insurmountable problems that you think you have that, that disqualify you. He'll deal with all the sin. He'll deal with all the drama. He'll do it. So if you're in this room right now and you just you say, you know what, I need, I need joy. I don't have that joy. I don't have the joy that he's preached about. I don't have that in me and I would like to have it. I'm going to ask you just to be brave. And I'm going to ask you just raise your hand if you want to receive that this morning. Be brave. It's okay. Anybody? Everybody's got the joy, 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 joy down in their heart? Down in their heart? Where? Down in their heart? Okay, good. Well, I'm going to pray for people to receive it anyway. Also, for everybody watching online, I know we can't obviously see if you're raising your hand, so we're going to pray for that as well. And then, of course, after service, where we when we dismiss you, Pastor John and I and Cindy is in here as well. We'd love to pray for you if you have any needs, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional. Father, you have been in this service today. Your spirit has been moving. Lord, for every person that is here or watching online that is just pushing through life, that needs your joy, Lord, 
right now in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would just fill them with the joy of the Lord. A joy that surpasses all, all circumstance, that surpasses all life issues. A joy that just says, you know what, things may be terrible right now. Or things might be good right now, but I'm still not happy. Because, Lord, things can be good and people still not be happy. Because what they're needing is the joy. So, Lord, fill them with that joy. Help us to walk in your truth, Lord. Father, I feel led to pray this, Lord, for anybody with any type of left shoulder issue, God. I pray that you would touch that right now in Jesus' name and heal that. Some type of vertebrae issue, God. With discs, Lord, I call those discs to line up correctly in Jesus' name. Right now, cartilage in a knee, I, I call that into, I feel like it's, it's deter deteriorated. I just, in the name of Jesus, ask and, and just command, actually, that cartilage to regenerate itself. So my, this is a weird one. I, I just feel like elbow pain. I just command that pain to go. Inflammation. We command that to go in Jesus' name. And if you're saying, I don't know, that might be me. I don't know if that's me. Uh, just receive it. Chronic headaches. I'm just sensing that, but it's not a medical condition. It's chronic headaches caused by some type of trauma. I don't know if it was like you hit your head or something. I don't know if it's online or not, but I just, in Jesus' name, reverse that trauma right now. Right now. And again, if you need prayer, we're, we'll be here. We'd love to pray with you um, right after service. So, Father, keep us safe. Bring us back together next week. We love you. We honor you. And all God's people said amen. Amen. <laughs>